Good afternoon. Thank you for joining the Boston Bar Association's webinar, Bar Exam Coaching Workshop Essay Writing. My name is Caitlin Blanchett and I'm the BBA Sections and Forums Assistant. We appreciate the support of our attendees and speakers. And before we begin, I want to provide a quick reminder to participants, though your mics and videos are muted, please do submit questions to the speakers to the Q&A function. If you want to revisit this presentation, a recording of the program will be made available within the month. And if you would like to turn on closed captioning, you can enable it at the bottom of your screen, but this service is provided through Zoom, so we cannot guarantee the total accuracy of the captions. And I'll now turn it over to Johnny. Thanks, Caitlin. Uh, welcome, everyone. Um, my name is Johnny Schreiber. I'm a legislative and regulatory counsel for the Massachusetts Association of Realtors, uh, but I am also a graduate of BU Law School. I formerly worked for the Boston Bar Association. Um, and I do um, essay grading for one of the, the bar exam companies. And I've done that for almost 10 years now. I also am barred in three different states, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and New York. Uh, that was more a function of not really knowing where I was going to end up after law school. And so I have great experience, uh, some may say, unfortunately, uh, in taking several different bar exams. Um, and these are some of the things that, um, you know, I've picked up on over my time in uh, my own uh, experience of taking the bar exam, as well as um, in grading uh, essays um, for the last several years. And Adrian, are you, I don't know, if, so can you, are you able to speak? We're having some technical difficulties on Adrian. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, with a little lag. Give okay. it a shot. Um, hello, you everybody. Hello, everybody. My name is Adrian Velasquez. Um, ahead of time, I want to apologize because um, I'm having technical difficulties uh, with my uh, internet connection. Um, um, with Johnny, we have done this um, uh, bar exam essay um, a couple of times with the Boston Bar Association. I have worked with him, especially with uh, second takers and bar here in Massachusetts. And uh, my current role is I'm the Chief Advocacy Officer for the New England Credit Union. Uh, before that, I was a public defender with TPCS. And our goal here is to uh, try to answer all the questions you might have regarding um, the bar exam essay. Uh, we both. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, Adrian's kind of been in and out. So he's having some technical difficulties, as he said. but. Um... Adrian's a great resource, and I'm I'm sure you know both of us are happy to make ourselves available um, after as well. If folks have questions, if he's able to rejoin us, um, you know we can have him participate as well. Um, he's got a lot of great insights uh, to share. But um, all right, Adrian, you're back. Can you hear us? All right, we'll we'll start going through the slideshow. So I think Adrian was was gonna say uh, say some of this, but we're basically we have a slideshow. It has some. Um, basics on what to expect. Uh, it's always good to just know what you're getting yourself into here as you go in. Um, and then we have kind of an activity where we can run through a sample um, a sample question, um, kind of explain some of the thought process as we go through it. Um, and then, you know, we're happy to, at that point and or throughout, to uh, answer any questions you have. You can use the Q&A or the chat functions. Um, we would like this to be feel like it's informal. Uh, so if you have things that pop up, we will do our best to answer them, you know, within the flow of, of the presentation. There's no need to feel like you need to wait. Um, and, you know, we're happy to provide our contact information um, 
and that way you can you can um, you can reach out to us if you have uh, further questions or follow up or you just don't feel like asking uh, during the program. So uh, just real basic stuff here, right? So the essay exam, it's half your grade, as I'm sure you know, Tuesday, February 21st. So we're coming up. You got the MPT followed by um, your multi-state essay exam. So the MPT uh, is you know, longer, it gives you a case file, and then your uh, multi-state essays are significantly shorter. You're given a problem, you have 30 minutes to, uh, to write up uh, your answer. You're graded on a score uh, from zero to seven. So the uh, MPT, you have 90 minutes per question. Sounds like a long time, especially when you're used to these you know, really short 30-minute um, read a, you know, read a one page question and, and draft an answer. Uh, but, um, let's see, hold on. Are we doing similar? Sorry. So, uh, we're not doing a separate, um, webinar, at least I'm not, I think the BBA in the past has done all sorts of different programs around the bar exam. And so I would recommend checking with Caitlin, checking the bar, uh, the BBA's offerings because they may have, um, other, you know, other aspects. Um, I have kind of background and specialty with the essays, uh, with my experience of being um, an, an essay grader. So every, you know, ha every half a year, I'm grading anywhere from 50 to 100 some essays. So I've seen a lot of what there is to see uh, and, and, you know, have that sort of unique experience. I'm happy to kind of draw some conclusions from, uh, for all of you. So uh, MPT, you know, it, it seems like a much longer time, but it is also the expectations are higher um, and there's a lot more to read. And those are kind of the, the big challenges is that your expectation is to write a better at times and longer response and use materials. Uh, so the goal is to test your lawyer skills um, and basically to be able to, um, to judge those. So you'll be given this a file, uh, a library of information. Um, you have to kind of read everything, read through everything, find out what's relevant or irrelevant. Um, yep, no problem. Uh, so your skills being you're tested here. So your um, sorting of factual information, your ability to intake large amounts of information. Right, that's a very fundamental lawyering skill is being able to read a lot of stuff pretty quickly assess what you need or what you don't need um, and then be able to use it. And, you know, I would say your expectation or your your challenge should be to try to use everything that you think is relevant. Um, the I would say one of the biggest things I see in grading MPTs is that people try to, um, I would say there's two things. One is that people try to um, Kind of shortcut so they're they'll leave out let's say if there's two or three cases that are important they'll they'll use only one case and try to draw all their conclusions off one if there are multiple cases that seem like they're on point um i would say do your best to try to use them also don't forget that you know they're often graders are looking at sort of both aspects so not just the cases that support your answer but differentiating from let's say the cases that are uh going the other way right so you're making sure you're using everything uh and then I think sometimes students uh, fall into something of a trap of um, wanting to provide too much detail on the cases, right? You've read all this stuff, it's kind of fresh in your mind and you wanna just put everything down. And um, I think it's far more effective 
for you to really remember we're trying to avoid same thing with the the 30 minute questions you're trying to avoid just restating facts right your goal is always to provide analysis and often the best way to do that is to provide uh, very brief summaries uh, basically of the holdings of the cases or the specific nuance that you want to draw out so um, the goal shouldn't be to have a two to three sentence quote um, from uh, the, even if it's the key facts from the case, it should be to have a one to two sentence uh, summary. Um, you know, as we see in case X, uh, here's the conclusion I want to draw, and here's how it relates to the the facts at hand. Um, and those are you know fundamental learning skills, being able to distill down a lot of complex information to something that is simple and short, and then being able to analyze um, the facts of your case underneath it and make your case either for or against something. So there's all different formats that this might take. Uh, format has some value here in that you know your grader is going to be looking for the proper header or to put it in you know a memo or some sort of legal writing form. Um, I think you know sometimes people put maybe too much of an emphasis on here, but also these are easy points that aren't worth throwing away. So just make sure you're familiar with kind of what the standard you know uh, breakdown headers look like for these different types of things and then just have them in your back pocket so you don't even have to think about it when it's on the exam so there's a link here for some free um, materials uh, the ncbex site has um, a lot of good resources it's worth checking out um, as well as you know if you're using a, um, a a bar prep company i'm sure they have a lot of stuff too so the multi-state essay exam, 30 minutes each, uh, they're on more general topics. You can have questions that are sort of on one issue or can have multiple issues. Um, the goals here are similar, but a little different. So again, you're sorting of information, what's relevant um, and providing really showing you that you know the law, of course, and then showing that you have uh, strong analytical abilities. Um, and that's, you know, as I kind of referenced before, one of the really key things is analysis, not just restating facts, right? So um, it's testing your ability to issue spot key things in the question, and then not just regurgitate them, but be able to apply those rules to uh, that, that you have memorized about the issues uh, to, the, to the issues in the question. So ability to reason and analyze, understanding the facts, uh, recognition of issues to be included, um, and your conclusions here are often less important than the presence and quality of these elements, um, which is something that I have seen plenty of times where um, if you get your rules down, you have a really great rule statement, and then you have pretty strong analysis, but something is off. Either you have a piece of your rule off or a piece of your analysis is off. Um, but you've provided the grader with this really clear map of that A, you largely or entirely know the rules, and B, that you are pretty good at analysis, but just something was not quite right, and it leads you to a wrong conclusion, you'll get minimal points off. The alternative of that is you don't know the rule well, and or you're simply restating facts and not actually analyzing the rule, and then you reach the wrong conclusion, and if in that situation you've basically thrown away all of your points rather than having this clear roadmap laid out where you've used your IRAC format and you have the rule and some analysis, and then you're only losing, you know, the, uh, the bare minimum of points for reaching the wrong conclusion or potentially losing no points. There are some questions where either conclusion is defensible. And so the emphasis is far more on your knowledge of the rules and then your analysis and the conclusion has little to no value. 
So here's a list of topics. Um, this can change, you know, every once in a while, but it, basically any anything is roughly fair game. Um, so it's impossible, you know, to totally prepare. I know some of the there's some stats you can look up online of like what has been done more often than others. Um, you know, some people really like to to use those. I think it's uh, important going into the bar exam to feel confident in, in as many subjects as you possibly can. And so um, not, you know, I don't I don't think those are the be all end all of saying, well, you know, there's a 2% greater chance that it'll be this versus that because every time the exam is different and um, just because there's a higher percentage chance or it's been greater percentage tested in the past does not necessarily mean that that will be the case this year. So just a word of caution on that, but, I, you know, that's a pretty basic thing. Again, there's some study materials available online. Um, so we've got uh, a sample question that we're hoping to walk through. Adrian, are you, do you wanna to try to do this or is it better if I kind of take the lead? All right, I'm guessing Adrian's still, still having some technical difficulties. So um, this is a question that uh, we thought was a, a useful one to kind of walk through. Um, just kind of what it's like, right? You're in the exam, you flip the page, and here's the question you get. Um, so start to kind of think about what that looks like. Uh, hopefully, you you know you've done some some uh, samples already, so you kind of know that that mindset of you're starting to read through. Uh, we did some underlining in the question, which would be things that like if I was writing, I would be underlining, maybe making some notes uh, at least back in the old days of using paper. I know it's a little different online, but things that I'm underlining in my head at least. Um, and uh, and we can walk through kind of some of the thought process. And um, feel free to use the, the Q&A or chat function as well to, to chime in or um, get my attention if you have questions as we're walking through. So Penny lives in an apartment on Oak Street across from the Fernbury Baseball Park. The park is owned and maintained by Fernbury Flies, a professional minor league baseball team. As she left her apartment building one day, Penny was struck in the head by a baseball that has been hit by Dennis, a Flies player, during the game. So we've underlined, obviously, there's something going on, right? Penny was struck, so is, it, is there a battery? There's some sort of, you know, Penny's, Penny got hurt here. Uh, is someone liable? Uh, and we have, you know, who did the act? So the ball was hit by Dennis, uh, who plays for the Flies. So maybe there's some liability for Dennis or the team. Just things we're thinking about as we're going through the question. The section of Oak Street that adjoins the park was once lined with single family homes. Over the past two decades, these homes have been replaced by stores and apartment buildings, causing an increase in both car and pedestrian traffic on Oak Street. So underlined uh, that there's this change in the neighborhood, right? So there's more, uh, more people who are walking by the stadium. Does that maybe introduce there's some sort of duty? Seems like that's kind of just happened naturally. Is, is anyone responsible for anything there? The ball that struck Penny was one of the longest that had been at the park that had been was one of the longest that had been at the park since its construction 40 years ago. So maybe a bit of an outlier. During the last 40 years, Fly's records show that only 30 balls had previously been hit over the park fence adjoining Oak Street, uh, but 15. Sorry, this thing is blocking my screen right here. Uh, 15 of the balls hit out of the park onto Oak Street were hit during the past decade. So. It seems like there it's a pretty rare occurrence. However, the odds of it happening have increased quite a bit um, recently. So more information here. The park 
surrounded by a 10 foot high fence, which was built during the park's construction. All their ballparks owned by clubs in the Flies League are surrounded by fence of a similar type and identical height. These fences are typical of those used by other minor league teams in the US. However, in Japan, where ballparks are often located in congested urban neighborhoods, netting is typically attached to ballpark fences. This netting permits balls to go over a fence, but captures balls before they can strike a bystander or pedestrian. So now we're kind of looking at, are there industry standards, right? And so it looks like the flies are doing basically what, uh, what everyone else is doing. However, maybe their stadium is uniquely situated um, and there is some precedent, at least from uh, parks in Japan, of having additional protections built in for uh, ballparks in these types of areas. After being struck by the ball, Penny was taken by ambulance to a hospital emergency room. After tests, the treating physician told Penny that she had suffered a concussion. The physician prescribed pain medication for Penny. However, because of a pre-existing condition, she had an adverse reaction to the medication and suffered neurological damage, resulting in the loss of sensation in her extremities. So uh, pre-existing neurological issue made her damages worse. So already kind of thinking eggshell skull plaintiff, right? Um, potentially something you want to work into your, into your answer. Penny has sued Dennis, the player that hit the baseball that struck her for battery and negligence. Penny has also sued the Fernberry Flies. She seeks to recover damages for the concussion and the neurological damage resulting from the medication. One, does Penny have a viable tort claim against Dennis? Explain. Two, does Penny have a viable tort claim against the Fernberry Flies? Explain. So, Adrian, are you, are you, um, you're, yeah. I see you're not muted. Do you want to chime in? Uh, sure, Johnny. I apologize to everybody for my connection. I was able to finally connect uh, via my phone since my computer is not working. But what I was going to say is, and, and you probably mentioned this, but anytime you start um, approaching an essay, uh, the first thing that you want to do is you want to read the call of the questions, right? If you read the call of the question in this essay, the call says, does Penny have a viable tort claim against Dennis? Explain. So we know by looking, just by looking at the, at the call of the question, we know that this is a tort essay. So we put our tort hat uh, on and then we, um, you know, try to approach sort of like what are the possible tours that they are going to be testing. So that is important because you're going to have only 30 minutes and that is going to sort of like um, um, as you approach, you know, the language of the exam, you will be able to connect some of the dots, right? So um, I think the next, uh, on the next slides, we start breaking it down. So um so there is multiple legal problems even though we have two questions here and this is why it is important to make those inferences in terms of how you approach the exam because after you probably notice there was only two questions but the reality is that there there are multiple legal problems and each problem problem is allocated a percentage of the response so just by only reading the question that doesn't give us all the issues, uh, we're gonna determine the issue as we read. So the first issue here that we see is, what must Penny establish in a battery action against Dennis? So as Johnny was mentioning on the first paragraph, um, there was key language indicating uh, elements of a tort. In this case, the first element would be battery. How do we know that? So if you read 
sort of like pretty much at the end what he says, Penny was struck, if you ask yourself, uh, Penny was struck in the head by a baseball that had been hit by Dennis, a Flies player during a game. So that we have plenty of information there, just in that very same, in that very first paragraph. One of the information that we need to ask ourselves is this a battery? So what is a battery? Is that harmful or offensive contact? Um, and then we, we need to determine whether that was intentional, right? Whether whether um, uh, the player, Dennis as a player, uh, intended uh, to hit uh, Penny. What we know so far is that he's a baseball player. We know that baseball, like in real life, we know baseball players, they get incentive, right? If they hit hot, hot uh uh, home runs, right, or or like a big hit. So we we need to use all that information uh, to elaborate our response. So the question that I have, and and I would like to see if we can get some something in the chat is, and and I'm sorry, I cannot see the chat. So uh, Johnny, you might have to help me out here. Um, do we have an intentional tour by uh, Dennis hitting the ball and hitting Penny on the head? That's my first question for the group. Not an intentional tour. Good. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I would agree with that. I don't think there is an intentional tour because he did not intend it. Uh, even though there was, uh, you know, an, a touching, right? And and there is a bodily injury. Uh, the element of, in, of intent is not there. So um, as far as a battery, uh, we we can make the argument that uh, that Dennis did not intend it, uh, to hit uh, Penny. All right, let's go to the second question for the purpose of time. What, what was Penny established in a negligence action against Dennis? So here, we need to ask ourselves, um, does Dennis owe any duty of ordinary care to avoid any injury or harm to Penny? Um, and and obviously in framing the in framing the question we need to figure out whether that is the case right uh, so it says that they were both I mean um, Dennis was a baseball player sort of like on his work he was just doing what he does which is baseball players they basically hit the ball and catch the ball and 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 they make you know life more enjoyable for everybody uh, so here. Um, the question that I want to ask myself is, does Penny owe any duty to Penny? And we know that Penny wasn't even in the park. Uh, we know that Dennis is not an innkeeper. So we will go over our negligence analysis. And obviously on the negligence an um, analysis, you want to make sure that you cover all the bases, right? Even though, um, you know, um, you, you want to go over duty, breach, uh, causation, damages, and any defense if there is anything and you want to lay it out on your response because you want to make sure that you get all points. However, in this case, it doesn't look like he owe any any duty to uh, to Penny. So if we go over, uh, we meet the first we don't meet the first element of duty. Therefore, there is no negligence claim here and that could be a conclusion. But again, it, conclusions are not as important as the analysis and the step-by-step -step analysis is that you have to ask your you you need to ask yourself 
the main and fundamental questions, right, on each element. Is there any duty here? And most likely that duty is not, but you have to state, you know, what the what the layout of the law is, you know, ordinary care, et cetera, et cetera. And then also for breach, also for consection, proximal cause, um, uh, and, and, and laid it out on your response. So on that second point, uh, we can make a determination that Denny's do not owe any duty to Penny. Uh, the third, the third issue here is what must Penny establish in an action against the flies based on the team employment relationship with Dennis? So here, uh, this is code word for, um, you know, vicarious liability. We know that uh, vicarious liability attached when the action of the tortfeasor it is within the scope of employment. In this case, we know that, um, you know, um, Dennis was playing baseball on behalf of Fenbury uh, Baseball Park, so he is definitely an agent. However, because we went through the analysis of the battery and the intentional, the, the intentional tort of battery and the negligence, and we sort of like determined that based upon the facts that we have, there is no claim, therefore, we can also make the case that there will be no vicarious liability here and and she will not be able to have a viable tort claim against Fenbury flies, right? And and also you have to do it, you have to break it down, you know, and you know, by tort by the torts, right? Like in this case, a battery and the negligence. Um I think one point here that you can make the case, and, and this was, uh, I know Johnny mentioned, is that there is other ways in which other leagues and other teams have been able to mitigate this sort of like balls going over the park. And the examiner sort of like gives you a fact in which says that in Japan, uh, where there is uh, congestion in terms of uh, urban congestion, uh, they have been able to solve this situation by um, putting a net. That is, that is very important because you want to use all the facts that the examiner is giving you. And that, that, um, that fact over there, you can make the case that, you know, that the, that the park, Fenbury Flies, you know, had a duty to mitigate. It can go either way, right? In my case, I don't, I don't see it, but that doesn't mean that's the case, right? Like our, our job is not to make a final determination. Our job is to argue, and in this case, you want to be able to use all the facts. So, in ordinary care, for instance, addressing your negligence, on, you know, for the part, you can mention this fact. And in fact, I would encourage you to like mention it because that's points that you're gonna get by bringing this up, there is a reason why that is there. And the examiner wants to see your analysis and your analysis at the end of the day is an incorporation of the facts, a marriage between the facts and the law, right? Um, so number five, if Penny succeeds in her actions against Dennis on the flies, can she recover for damages for the neurological harm that resulted from a pre-existing condition? So as Johnny was mentioning before, whenever you see sort of like language that it says pre-existing condition, there must be a bulb in your head that says, oh, actual, actual is called doctrine, meaning that uh, 
the the defendant take uh, the plaintiff the plaintiff as it is. So if there is any pre-existing condition, sort of like the defendant will be liable. Now, we made a determination twice that uh, there is no liability on behalf of Dennis or Fenbury or Fenbury Fly. However, you need to use all those facts once again and laid it out out there that you know. Um, even though she had a pre-existing condition, uh, so, 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 uh, finally, the you're going to come down as saying that there is no duty, obviously, but you want to make sure that you want to mention because uh, what they are looking for is that you're using um, every fact that exists on the fact pattern. Um, and I want to make a pause now to see if there is any question or if Johnny wants to um, um, uh, jump in uh, and add anything to the analysis. Yeah, I mean, my only thought there is that, you know, I think there's at sometimes there's a thought from students because we're so conditioned from like law school uh, that like there'll be all these red herring facts or tricks. And I would say to Adrian's point, like if facts are in there, you should consider them likely to be very likely to be valuable. It's very rare for questions to be based sort of solely on tricks. And to the degree that they are, uh, I've seen ones, it's not typically because of erroneous facts given. It's more so like the basis of where your analysis should begin. Like the facts are still used. Um, like it's more of like oh you focused on the the a trap was like to focus too much on the um sort of the the process of service whereas the question was actually really wanted you to focus on the the court procedure and it that it had to be in you know this filing or that filing right something like that but not Absolutely. the facts given are all still germane um that's all my only reaction but yeah if questions are here here we go all right so uh can you see the questions adrian you yeah, I can I can see that. Well, you mean on the chat? Yes. No, unfortunately, I can. I mean, okay. I saw one that pop out, but uh, I yeah. can't. So if... Okay, so yeah, we have one. Uh, so, so basically, we should add the eggshell egg skull doctrine analysis and end it with something like uh, D would be liable if the elements of a battery claim were met in the case. Just want to make sure I understand how to do my analysis, even though the conclusion is a no. So I would say um, the conclusions oftentimes are very irrelevant in terms of the points. What the examiners are looking for is that whether you're using uh, the facts and whether your law is on, on the money, right? Like you want to make sure that you address each element of the law and that you have a fact to either support your, uh, your position or to uh, support the opposite position. The bottom line is that it doesn't matter how you um, what your conclusion is what it matters is that you are including sort of like all the facts and that's why I think um, in in diagramming sort of like the torque question and this is actual an actual torque question that was uh, tested a couple of years ago uh, we sort of like underline key language that will signal um, to um, different torts or tort doctrines um, but what is important is the incorporation, and that's why um, you have to pay careful attention um, on what the examiner are providing, because there is a lot of points that people tend to forget uh, by not including 
the facts that have been given to you. And to and to Johnny's point, the the the, the examiner are not necessarily trying to trick you as much as they are trying to see how you are utilizing what you have been given. Granted, you only have thirty minutes, right? Uh, so that's why. Um, the more practice that you do with these essays, the better you're going to be at identifying uh, key language, but also on your approach. Um, and again, I think if, uh, for those of you that feel concerned about um, the, the, the exam, I think one key, um, I would say one key advice that I, that I can give you is that you have half of the half of the question is already there in front of you. I mean, you just gotta like organize those facts and marry them with the law, which you have been studying so hard. So I hope Carla, I think that's- uh, I, I hope that was helpful as opposed to more confusing, yeah. Yeah, I would say it just in, and in shortest terms, like, yes, I, I agree with, I think Carla, that what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I think that is is kind of what we're getting at. Great. Are there any other questions here? We can keep going. Feel free to ask more if if, uh, if anything comes to mind. Um, so we've got the some of the key facts. I think we've kind of gone through this. Did you have more you wanted to say on on the the key facts? I think you kind of did this, Adrian. I don't know if you can see. Yeah, I I, I think I went over. Uh, yeah. Okay. So. Uh, just a couple more slides just on sort of some observations. So um, writing style, issue spotting, subject matter knowledge. Uh, this is not an acronym you need to know or think about at all, but those are some really key things. Uh, writing style being, um, you know, organization. It's it's really uh, IRAC or CRAC. I know different uh, places, do, you know, do it differently. Doesn't matter which one you use, but um, having a format is really, really helpful. So Think about you know putting yourself in the shoes of the grader who is grading a ton of these and is kind of grinding through right. Uh, maybe they they have I think a lot of people have this is not their full time job so they work their other job they come home they got you know ten of these to grade twenty of these to grade. Um, the you want to make it as easy as possible for them, and all the graders know IRAC and CRAC. Plus, it's a great way to organize an answer right. It just it makes sense uh, from a logical perspective. Um, you may have elements of analysis or elements of the rule or reach the correct conclusion, but if you make the grader hunt for it, they graders are human, right? I think they do a great job by and large, but they are doing the best they can as people and they may miss something. Uh, and that could result in you losing points, points that you need. So um, sticking to a format is really, really useful and incredibly helpful, both for your answering the question, but also for the grader. Um, it can feel boring uh, and formulaic, and it is supposed to, right? That's the goal here. Um, it's not creative writing, it's legal writing. Um, and the point is to basically lead uh, the grader through your demonstrating your knowledge of the rules and your thought process in your analysis in order to reach what is hopefully the correct conclusion for the question. So, um, Johnny, yes. Uh, if my, if my interrupt for a moment, uh, one thing that is important about the organization is you don't want to, you don't want to have like long 
responses. You want to make sure that you're addressing, you know, each issue separately. You don't want to incorporate all the issues out all together because uh, number one, you might you might forget something, right? Uh, and number two, as uh, Johnny was mentioning, you want to make it easy to the to the grader uh, to show that you know you know the law, right? That you know what you're talking about, that you know that you have identified the issues. Um, because at the end of the day, as Johnny was mentioning, they're grading um, many, many, many essays. And I, I mean, let's let's be honest, right? Um, if someone see if, if a grader see a response that is organized, it is most likely that they're going to be going through. Oh, um, this person actually met all the criteria, right? As opposed to like trying to find the criteria within uh, a big long paragraph or to 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 make to make a point. Uh, so IRAC is a suggested or CIRAC are the suggested convention on how to organize. So. And you want to make sure you point it out. This is the issue, right? Uh, this is the role in, in, in this is the rule in the analysis. You want to make sure you use words like because, right? And 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 in the conclusion, you you want to make sure you incorporate a therefore because those are all signals um, that give the greater that this is the part in which I'm going to be addressing um, the components of an IRAC. So uh, keywords are also very helpful. And again, as, as uh, Johnny was mentioning, uh, you don't have to be too creative here. Being boring is very acceptable and you wanna make sure that you're repeating even, even though you might think, oh, I'm sounding repetitive. Well, uh, it is in, in, in approaching an essay, you have to be systematic and you have to like cover all the points. And oftentimes it might sound boring, but that's just the way that you're showing the greater that you know what to address. So obviously addressing uh, the general law and then the exception is extremely important. And so is important in the analysis section, addressing those components as well. Yeah, to Adrian's point, the, the strongest essays that I read by far are the ones that are very clear and very concise. The best ones have only the key information and analysis that you need and nothing more. Now, there is a temptation and it's not necessarily a particularly bad one to kind of throw everything at the wall to make sure that you don't lose anything. And in a perfect world, you won't lose points for that either because you will have at least the correct stuff and maybe some extraneous stuff that doesn't matter. You're playing with fire there a little bit in that that takes time to do, additional time that you may not have, and two is it can start to model your answer. So just be aware of that and try to push back on that temptation if you can, understanding that you know it's better to have it in if you throw something in there during that process that you wouldn't have had otherwise that is necessary, that's helpful, right? So it's a bit of a balancing act, but by far the best answers are, you know, just they're very, very clear and they're concise. Um, I would also say to Adrian's point, um, if you, it's, it can be easy sometimes to um, lump issues together uh, and not, maybe you have uh, three IRAC sections, uh, but one of them kind of has an issue and a half or two issues or something. Um, I would say in any situation like that, uh, to err on the side of having just to just throw in another IRAC section, even if it's short, it can be four sentences, 
but rather than trying to handle multiple issues in a single IRAC section, it starts to get it starts to get confusing. So always err on the side of just another paragraph, even if it's a short one. Um, I think is uh, can be really helpful for your, um, your organization. Um, Adrian, do you have anything more to add on that, or should I? No, I think we okay. we cover. Yeah. So um, that's the kind of the meat of the program. Uh, we also encourage you to be confident. Uh, I know that that can be really challenging, especially um, a lot of times February takers are folks who had challenges, um, you know, in the prior summer uh, or, or in the past earlier that can really throw people for a loop. Uh, I think a lot of folks, um, you know, who are taking the bar exam are people who have only ever uh, succeeded in every academic thing that they've ever done in their lives, right? That's how you got to this point. Uh, and that's awesome. Um, but, you know, just because uh, you may have not had success on your first or even second or third time taking the bar exam uh, does not mean that you will not pass this time. Um, and I think there's an element of you need to be confident, right? You need to be confident in two things, really. One, your ability to study. You didn't get this far by not knowing how to prepare yourself for exams. Um, so trust yourself. Um, you know, you can use the resources that you have available to you. But um, I think, you know, the, the bar prep companies, they do a great job. They've been, so many people have had success with them. They don't work for everyone. Their formulas and some of their formulas may work for you partway, but not all the way. And I would say, don't be afraid to customize them, to do the exercises that you think are really challenging you and providing you a ton of value. Um, and if there's things that you're finding are repetitive or aren't helping, um, to then put your efforts elsewhere because um, sometimes it's impossible to kind of do everything and the bar exam is just so demanding that you have to make tough decisions like that. So you gotta be confident in, in your prep. And then also you have, really have to be confident on the exam, right? So I'm talking about the best answers are the ones that are really clear and concise that don't sort of throw everything at the wall. Well, it takes confidence to do that, right? It's a lot easier to kind of just type everything out and have this massive run on paragraph um, but you know, that can have a negative impact on your grade. So, um, shorter and concise is often the, the strongest answer and you need to be confident in order to accomplish that. Adrian, do you have anything to add on that? Oh, I, I, I think I just want to say to everybody, um, thank you for taking the time. This, this also show how much you care. Um, don't, don't get discouraged. I, I had to take the bar more than once and, uh, thanks to people, thanks to people like Johnny, they, they helped me, uh, get better. And now I help people, uh, especially, uh, second timers and, and people that have retakers, uh, to, to pass this exam. It's not easy. It's not an easy task. It's, it's difficult. It's frustrating. But it is also, and and you probably cannot see it now. But when once you pass, it's going to be very rewarding. Um, the 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 amount of work and the amount of sacrifice is unquestionable, right? Uh, but I also am very confident that all of you have what it takes to to pass the exam and to um, approach the exam uh, in a fashion that uh, will you know make you uh, come to to the other side. Um, finally, I just want to say uh, a quick comment about mental health. I think it's important to, uh, to take break. Uh, I think it's important to like do, do something, uh, pleasant. And we have, uh, we have the, the slide there about, um, uh, yeah. the virtual event. 
Um, this well, was last year, so I don't know if they're doing was, it again this year. Yeah, sorry, I should have looked into that. Um, but that being said, uh, I think it's important um, to to take the break to 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 leave you know to to leave some time for your for your brain to uh, to calm down uh, so you can process all the information. It is also important to like um, sleep well. I know sometimes you know with anxiety people do not sleep well, but and uh but i think it's it's beneficial also like the exercise component if you were someone that you know uh, was exercising but you stopped because you thought that you got to focus only on the bar well i would encourage you to incorporate exercise as you know the benefits are are um you know outweighed um the the the, the amount of um time that you probably are taking that it's not marinating in your brain um um, so I want to wish everybody good luck. Uh, I think our contact information are here, but if not, more than happy to. Um, and our our colleague Eunice wasn't able to make it today. She's she's fantastic uh, as well. Uh, but if you guys have any question from now until the bar exam or even after, uh, please feel free to uh, reach out to us. Uh, we're here at Resource, uh, and we we do this because. We, we have been in your position and we know how difficult it could be, but also how rewarding it can be. So I wish everybody uh, good luck, trust your work. And, and, and we say in Spanish, palante, meaning let's go forward. So um, good luck to everybody. Thanks. Yeah. So, I mean, we've got a couple minutes left at the end here. If folks have questions, we're, we're happy to be a resource for the next, you know, whatever, 10 minutes here. But um, if not, we'll give you back a few minutes of your day. Um, Looks like uh looks like there's some <laughs> you're welcome for the cat pictures listen we try to bring a, at least a little levity to a situation that can also be you know pretty stressful so it looks like uh caitlin also put in the chat there's some drop-in study sessions so that could be a good resource for folks um you know if you've got your your own network of studiers you want to you know try to hook up with some folks at the bba um could be a great place to uh to meet some other like uh like-minded folks Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for joining us today. And um, don't hesitate to reach out uh, if you've got questions and best of luck. Thank you to Adrian and Johnny. And if there are no more questions, we'll close up the webinar. Thank you so much.